0: because there's so much stuff in us by nature, by living in a fallen world, a world that is full of uh, its own philosophies and ways, and default is to follow the way of the world. But to prove what is that good and acceptable will of God, well, we need to follow the Bible very closely. Welcome to Let the Bible Speak. This is Pastor Ian Golliher. I trust that today the Lord will help and bless as we come to one of the most challenging passages of God's Word. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. We all know what a dead sacrifice is, but to be a living sacrifice to be actually continually all our days yielded and surrendered to a life of sacrifice, serving the Lord Jesus Christ, who on the cross was that ultimate sacrifice for us. And surely here the apostle is dealing with service, not suffering. Jesus did that for us. He suffered it all, all payment, all condemnation he bore in his own body on the tree. But now he calls us to endure service and sacrifice for him in our daily lives. And this is a concept of Christianity that is, alas, too much forgotten, because many don't want to think of being disciples of Jesus as something of sacrifice. They want to think of it as fun and excitement. But Jesus did say, he that will not take up his cross is not worthy to be my disciple. So I want you to stay tuned today as we turn to our message from our pulpit here at the Free Presbyterian Church, Romans 12.1. Romans 12.1 is the challenge of a surrendered life it is that we present our bodies as a living sacrifice. And this analogy is so vivid. And it is so uh, vivid that, well, it, it's really hard to picture how I can do possibly do it. How can I make my life to be a living sacrifice unto God? What does it mean? Well, two weeks ago when I was here in the pulpit Sunday morning, we realized and we looked at to have a surrendered life, to have a renewed mind, because that's what verse 2 goes on, be not conformed to this world, uh, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. We learned that we need a gospel mind, and we base that on Paul's plea I beseech you by the mercies of God. And of course, that was very suitable for us on our Communion Sunday because we were remembering Calvary, remembering our Lord suffering on the cross for us. And what mercies flow to us because of our Savior who took our place and died for us. And a gospel mind, we learned, is to be a living sacrifice offering praise, a spirit of thanksgiving. And every Christian is to be noted by a life of thanksgiving. That is our doxology. Now, verse 2 leads us to a biblical mind. And then, Lord willing, next week, we will look at a humble mind, because verse 3 says, uh, through the grace given to me to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly. And so we need a humble mind. But today we're going to look at the matter of having a biblical mind. Now, you might be asking, and rightly so, I trust that you are a Berean, that you search the Scriptures, and you look for the preacher to make proper use of the Scriptures. He must not just come preaching his own notions, either with an empty head or a full head of his own ideas. The preacher must get truth out of the Word. That's called exegeting the Scriptures. And I want to take you— to the end of verse 2, where it says, Renewing your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So you're called upon to renew your mind, and you are to discern what is the perfect will of God. And my conclusion is simply this. The only way that you and I can do that is to be truly biblical, from A to Z. Sorry, that's American. A to Z. We can only have a biblical mind. We can only discern the perfect, good, and acceptable will of God by being totally biblical. We want to be Bible Christians. And we don't want to mix up our biblical Christianity with the notions of humanism and not even with self-ism. And that's the hardest thing of all, because there's so much stuff in us by nature, by living in a fallen world, a world that is full of uh, its own philosophies and ways, and default is to follow the way of the world. But— to prove what is that good and acceptable will of God, well, we need to follow the Bible very closely. We need to be like what was said of John Bunyan, that if you pricked him, not just blood would flow out, but that his blood was bibline. It was, he was so full of the Scriptures that if you bled him, he would bleed the Bible. Could that be said of you? Is that your mindset? Is that your way of thinking. Now, how do we get a mind like this? And how do we fix our minds truly on the Word? Now, we have to renounce not just the notions of the world, and I'm not going to preach today about the false philosophies and the humanism. I'm not going to go there. That has its own challenges and requirements. But today, I'm going to ask you to empty yourself of self, self self-thinking, your own baggage notions that you've picked up from somewhere. Maybe it's your upbringing. Maybe it's just living in the workplace, and that's the way they talk and think, and you're going that way as well. But you're called as a Christian to prove what is that good and acceptable will of God. And we come to the Bible to do that. Now, there's one thing that we need to deal with, and that is our own subjective notions being led by whims and feelings. As some here know I've been reading The Life of George Whitfield. It's a most interesting and fascinating read, not only because he is a Calvinist evangelist and that's a lot to learn from that. And not only because he's a big name amongst evangelical Christian leaders, but because he was just a man and he made mistakes. And the best thing that we can do in the Christian life is to learn from the mistakes of others. Otherwise, we're going to walk through that mire ourselves. When George Whitefield was a young man and indeed a young evangelist preacher, He was influenced greatly by the Moravians, as were John and Charles Wesley. They were all buddies to some degree. They were influenced by one another. Now, the Moravians, they sometimes determined the will of God by casting lots. That's how they decided big issues. And if you got the short straw, then that was the will of God for you. They also followed whim, mere subjective influences, and they would get an idea in their head, and they would feel that that was the impression that was laid upon them by the Spirit of God, and they would follow those impressions or those whims. Now, George Whitfield, as a young man, fell into that false practice, and it cost him dearly. Later in life, he renounced it. And he warned his people against following mere personal impressions, however they come. And sometimes these men would be men of prayer, and they'd be on their knees, and thoughts would come to them even on their knees in prayer. And they were absolutely sure that this is the will of God. But it was contrary to the Bible, and they did not follow the teaching of the Word. Now we are theologically, doctrinally, cessationists, big word, simple meaning. We believe that the Spirit of God no longer leads people by direct revelation, miracles, healings, words of knowledge, revelations that add to the Scriptures. We are cessationists. Those things ceased when the Bible was completed. There is no longer a need for a new revelation, a new word from God while it's in the Bible. If everything that God has to say to the Christian is in the Bible, and that's Christianity, that's Protestantism, that's uh, true doctrine, everything God has to say to his people is in the Bible, and I can prove that by turning you to Revelation twenty two, eighteen. And here's the warning. Here's the very strong warning in Revelation 22 and verse 18. "'For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book, and if any man shall take away from the words of the book.'" Now, you wouldn't like me to publicly stand here and take the scissors to the Bible— I wouldn't expect you ever to be back. You would say, I'm not going to go to a church where the preacher takes the scissors to the Bible. But would you go to a church where they add stuff to the Bible as a revelation from God? That's the big question, because unfortunately, many—and they are doctrinally called continuationists— they believe that God continues to reveal his will to people by words of knowledge, revelations, dreams, visions, all those kind of things, and that God speaks to his people in those ways to lead them. And of course, that leads us into the Pentecostal movement, the charismatic movement, and those who follow their subjective feelings. And they will say to you, And I don't know how you answer this, it's probably one of the difficult things. They say to you, But I feel led. I feel led. And of course you don't want to get in the way of someone who is in the will of God. And they say, But I feel led. Well, I think we all have to say, Well, could you explain to me how you feel led? I just feel burdened. This this is this is so laid on me, I must do this. But does it agree with the scriptures of truth? And we must check ourselves not to follow self-ideas, notions, whims, impressions. We must be truly biblical. Prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And so we're to follow God's will by his word alone. Now, notice how Paul puts it. He talks here about the will of God. God has a purpose. God has a plan. And that's the great thing about being a Christian. That's the great thing about serving the Lord. We're not like Hindus. It's just fatalism. The Muslim world's a bit like that, too. It's just fatalism. We are convinced that God's in control. He rules the world to build His church. And for every one of his redeemed children, God has a good, a perfect will, path to follow. The word will here is really the word we get decree. It's not a whimsical thing. It's not a changing thing. It is a post, a marker that is fixed. And God has a will a purpose, a plan for his children that does not move from day to day. They are absolute. And this is the thing that we must aim for. And the Lord has taught us in the Lord's Prayer in the third petition—we'll be looking at this at our adult Sunday school class next Sunday morning—we pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done. That means what God has decreed, what God has determined, what God has set to be done, Lord, lead me into the center of it. Now, if you're a believer and a Christian, you're going to pray the Lord's Prayer, Thy will be done in my life. Young Christian, I would would uh, implore with you today, I would plead with you today, do not mess up your life by stepping out of the good and perfect will of God. Now it says here that it is the perfect will of God. You come to me and I, as a pastor, and you say, no, I've got a decision to make, can you help me? I, I need to know the mind of God on something. Can I sit down with you and say, this is absolutely 100%, absolutely God's will for you? There's only one way I could possibly do that, and that is open the Bible, and if what you're proposing to do lines up with this book, then I can say, yes, you are going in the will of God. If I shut the book and I just listen to your reasonings, your self-thinking, and shut the book, you most likely will miss the will of God. And you may fall into the snare of the devil, the world, and your own selfish agenda, and that it will not be pleasing to God. And that's why we are biblical Christians. Now, it says good and acceptable and perfect will of God. And here is where our submission really starts. Now, Paul started this off by saying we need to be laying ourselves on the altar of sacrifice. He's talking about surrender. And surrender to Paul the Apostle is not airy fairy, it's biblical. And it is to give up my own agenda, give up my own notions, and bring my life into alignment with God's revealed will in His Word. If I'm not willing to do that, I am not proving what is the good and perfect will of God. And it's right here that the battle rages, maybe in your heart this morning. Maybe there's something in your life that you're considering, and you— are almost afraid to open the Bible. You're afraid to ask someone who knows the book to help you search those scriptures that will lead you in God's answer to the question. You want to close the book and make your own decision. That is contrary to living a life of self-sacrifice on the altar. That is really fighting or resisting the will of God. So in real terms, where do we begin? Well, in a very simple way, the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments. Christianity is built upon the Ten Commandments. If you ever study the—well, just take the shorter catechism, which young people should certainly be learning—a great deal of that catechism deals with the Lord's Prayer and deals with the Ten Commandments. Now, those catechisms, as the confession, was written in 1647. That's when it was published, 1647. The Christian church has used that confession for hundreds of years now. And this is solid, basic, biblical Christianity. If you want to know the will of God, the first place you go is you check the Ten Commandments. Because if what you're thinking of doing is contrary to any one of the Ten Commandments, you are in sin. You are going in the way that will bring God's judgment, not God's blessing. So that's the place to begin. Now, here's the important thing I want to bring out here. You check out contemporary preachers today. Sometimes they're called New Calvinists, New Evangelicals and you look at their preaching, and you look for a series on the Ten Commandments, I will not say you'll never find it, but you'll be hard-pressed to find it. Now, these conference preachers, these uh, together-for-the-gospel-type preachers, these new Calvinists, they do not believe that the Christian is under the law as the rule of life. They are new covenant they take a whole new position that the Christian is no longer under the law of God as the rule of life. I listened to a video clip just recently of Francis Chan, and what he said, I don't like legalism. All we want is more of Jesus. Now, to a young Christian, that sounds very liberating and, 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 and exciting, just more of Jesus. But that Is the result of ditching, of moving away from historical reformed Christianity, that the Ten Commandments is the basis of Christianity as the rule of life, not just to bring us to Christ to be saved, but all of our days. You've been listening to Let the Bible Speak. This is Ian Golliher, and I trust that today's message on Romans 12, on presenting your body as a living sacrifice, has been a means of stirring your heart to serve the Lord. And these are times we need to grasp every opportunity that we might be witnesses for the Savior. When Joseph Parker, the great London preacher of the last century, was debating one day on the town green with enemies of Christianity. An infidel shouted to him, what did Christ do for Stephen when he was stoned? Parker answered, and he said the answer was given him like an inspiration from heaven. He gave him grace to pray for those who stoned him. It was the belief of St. Augustine and of Luther that the prayer which was offered by Stephen for those who stoned him, and which Paul must have heard when he held the clothes of those who did the stoning, was used of God for the conversion of the Apostle Paul. Yes, God can use the surrender and the submission of a martyr to bring others to faith in the Lord Jesus. Another said that because of grace, he felt like sneaking into heaven. Arthur Headley in the Gospel Herald wrote, I was once asked to visit an old Scotchman who was dying. He was anxious about his soul, for he was unprepared to meet God. After a few visits, the truth dawned upon him, and through repentance and faith, he experienced the joy of forgiveness and the assurance of eternal life. Just before he died, he said to me, with obvious regrets, I feel such a sneak because I've served Satan all my life, and only now at the end of my life have I yielded my heart to God. His conscience told him it was a mean, despicable way to serve his master and redeemer. It is a comforting thought that God is so ready to receive and pardon us though we have spurned Him all our days. Salvation is all of grace, whether we are saved in youth or in old age, whether we have served Him much or not at all. Salvation is by grace and by grace alone. Let this sink in. Let us be done with this idea that we must perform, merit, earn, work our way into heaven. No, it is by simple trust in the finished work of Christ, because there on the cross, he paid it all. And his righteousness given to us is a complete righteousness. We need not add to it. May the Lord save you today. And if I can be of personal help, be sure to give me a call or send me an email.